So we are so excited to be back here this week. Um, I know I look probably a little different than you are accustomed to me looking. I figured since we couldn't be here together this week that I would at least make it look a little like Easter. So I have put on my my Resurrection Sunday suit. Um, I pray that we are all just having a wonderful time in the Lord. I pray that you were blessed tremendously by by that video. And I'm just honored to God to have that simple reminder that Jesus Christ is indeed the King of the universe. He's the king of our lives. He is the savior, the savior of our souls. So what we want to do today is actually take a look at the manifestation of Jesus Christ as the king that rules over us. So last year around this time, I preached a sermon series, and that sermon series was called Jesus All Over. And in that series, what we did is we looked at Jesus from Genesis to Revelation, and we discovered who Jesus was in both the pre-incarnate Christ and the symbolism that leads us all the way up into his coming to earth, dying for our sins, and then his ascension back to the Father. We went all the way through the biblical text and looked at all the different accounts that we have of Jesus, those being in Genesis when it says, let us make man in our image and behold, the man has become as one of us knowing good and evil. The other being in Joshua when Joshua has the, the encounter with the man and he says that he is the commander of the Lord's army and when Jacob wrestles with the man that we know is the pre-incarnate Christ, we look at all these different encounters and it led us up ultimately to Resurrection Sunday when we discussed what Jesus actually did for us and we equivocated what the sacrifice of Jesus means for us. Now, what we don't want to do and what I don't want to do is try to pull out of my bag of sermons the best Resurrection Sunday sermon that I can pull out for you because I don't really talk about the gospel any other week. I think it is imperative for every pastor, preacher, and teacher every week to present the gospel to the people. Every week we must take people to the feet of a bleeding Savior at a cross in hopes that he will take them into eternity. And so we must remember, the, the Bible reminds us that we have to always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Now, we can hardly call ourselves heralds of the gospel if every week we are not giving people the opportunity to see their own sin, to see their own lostness, but also see the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave himself up for our sins. Now, we are coming to, as we have been in Psalms. We are remaining in Psalms today, and we are coming up to really the penultimate point when we're going to see in chapter 2, this is the most messianic passage that we will have until this point in the book of Psalms. And while it is somewhat talking about royalty or even, you know, hinting at David, what we want to be able to see today is that this text is emphatically talking about Jesus Christ. And it is a foreshadowing of the Savior and the King that will come. 
Because of this heavy messianic emphasis, though this psalm does not mention an author, we can carefully and deduce that it is in fact David who writes this text. While this title today is going to seem quite simple, it is very profound. And it is one of the most essential components to the character of Christ. So it is my, my pleasure to present the sermon to you today. And it's just quite simply, crown him. Crown him. Let's go to the word of God. So in the book of Psalms, chapter 2, it reads, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word. While this may seem rudimentary and elementary to many people, God, this is a tremendous aspect um, to the character of Christ, us knowing that he is indeed our sovereign Lord, King of kings, Lord of lords, who sits high and looks low on the throne, that will come back and establish his kingdom, God. And so we pray today that through this sermon that you will be able to reveal us all the characters of Christ that you have pre presented to him and that it will pierce us in our hearts so that we can look to him, as the Bible says, and be saved. We thank you now, Lord, for this word. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the beginning of this text starts with a question, and the question is relatively revealing. Here he says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? He is addressing the climate of the people around the king here and the other kingdoms. I think that verses one through three can be categorized as the first point of the day, and I want to introduce it to you here. When the people rebel, when the people rebel, here we can clearly see that the nations are in opposition to the authority of God. They aren't just rebelling against the king, however, but they are rebelling specifically and intentionally against God. But the Psalter here describes that their rebellion and their plots are fruitless. He says that though they plot, it is in vain. It is in vain because they don't realize that the very reason that they are even able to plot against God and the king all falls under the sovereign will of God. Now, this again, however, is a messianic and a prophetic text. Remember, we do see that people would plot decisively against Jesus Christ as well. And when they plotted against him, they would crucify him. But their plan, like the plan of these people here, was all according to the sovereign control of God. 
Now, these past few weeks, there has been an emphasis in the previous verses that we discussed in Psalm 1 about the counsel of the wicked and we, the righteous and believers of God, receiving counsel exclusively from the people of God. But here it talks about the counsel that these people receive is the counsel that they come together and they plot against God's anointed. Now, this is an extremely important phrase and term to be used here. And let me make something clear. Whenever we talk about God's anointed or the anointed one in the Bible, this is not for every individual preacher or prophet or whatever you may call yourself to be to say, well, I'm God's anointed. No, this is a messianic title that God gave intentionally for the people that he had placed, namely Jesus Christ. So when we see the term anointed one or when we see the term uh, Messiah, this is Messiah in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the anointed one is Christ. Here we see that the true person by which man rebels against is none other than Jesus Christ himself. They are rebelling against, plotting against the anointed one. That is Jesus Christ. We know this because as we celebrated last week, Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday is what appears to be the coronation of Jesus Christ, the triumphal entry, as many people call it, as he comes in and the people are shouting at him, Hosanna. And as they shout to him, Hosanna, they are celebrating the arrival of what they believe to be their earthly king. But we also know that less than a week later, they would manufacture a fake trial at the middle of the night and accuse him of things that he had not done and crucify him on the cross while they let an innocent man go. They let a guilty man rather go free. Now, this would have all been done and constructed by the workers of Satan thinking that they had successfully defeated God and Jesus Christ, they thought that they had destroyed the king that came to rule. The people rebelled, though, because they have their own idea of righteousness. Thus, they seemingly destroyed the definition of what truth actually is. See, we do get Jesus in three offices, and I've said this before, but it's imperative, especially on Easter Sunday, for us to be able to grasp this. We get him as prophet, meaning that not only did he come to be the full revelation of God and his word, but he came to speak the word of truth by the authority of God. John 7, 28 tells us this. It says, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me. And you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. Jesus came as the chief spokesperson of God, the exact imprint, as Hebrew says, the radiance of God himself. See, he came also, though, as the priest. So we see he's prophet but he's also a priest. Jesus comes to us to be both the sacrifice and to give the sacrifice. Hebrews 2 and 17 tells us that therefore he had to be made like his brothers 
in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make perpetuation for the sins of the people. We know that he is prophet, the spokesperson of God. He is priest. He is the sacrifice, but he is also giving the sacrifice. But he also comes as king. And this is probably the underwhelming part that gets talked that never gets talked about on Sunday during services. We always get the idea of Jesus being beaten and and being mocked, but we never get the full picture of Jesus Christ as the king that will reign. Now, it is imperative for us to understand that the future reign of Jesus Christ will come at the end of the age. And perhaps that's why we don't like to talk about it right now. The people who rebelled against God and those who rebelled against God have taken their little victory lap thinking that Jesus Christ is not here. In fact, Paul warns us in the text, he says, listen, there will be people that will come and scoff and mock and say, where is the appearing of this Savior? So there are people who, when Jesus Christ breathed his last breath, they took a victory lap. When he hung his head, they took a victory lap. And even now, the people who say he's not coming back because he isn't real, they think they're taking a victory lap. As we Christians alone earnestly wait for him to reappear, they must realize, however, that the way he left, which was the beaten, broken, bruised, bleeding savior that they saw, what we call the suffering servant is very different than the way he is going to return. Now, The last image that many people have, say 500 people, is of that exact image. But when he returns, he will return to us as the sovereign, majestic king that will come slay the evil one and at last rule over us. And the full culmination of the promise of David and his kingdom of his kingdom, there will be no end, will be fully realized and recognized. And the Bible proclaims that on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess emphatically that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. That is what it means for Jesus Christ to be the king, Lord of lords and king of kings. We are not just celebrating the wounded, beaten, battered, broken Savior, but we are also celebrating with the anticipating of the arrival of our king who will come establish his kingdom. But he will also bring judgment on the people who rebel against him. And that leads us up to. Our second point, the first point being when the people rebel and the second one being when God responds. We see that the people rebel against God and even and we even see that they view their time of prosperity and acclaim and notoriety as a momentary victory in time. But it literally only lasts for a moment. As we see that the text says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Now, this is 
a strange way to see God picture here. We get the wrath of God. We get the anger of God. We, we even hear about God repenting of himself. But to see God laughing here must cause us all to tremble because the reason he is laughing is because the people who are judging and rebelling against his people think that they have won. But it says that God sits in the heavens and he laughs as they think that they are winning and successfully rebelling against God. He laughs. Now, this reminds me of a very similar text in Scripture. A very similar text in scripture where there's a king who thought that he had judged the people of Israel on his own accord. And God responds to him, king of Assyria, that the way that I use you to judge them, you too will be judged. It reads in Isaiah 10 and 12. When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. For he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. And by my wisdom, for I have understanding, I removed the boundaries of the peoples and plundered their treasures. Like a bull, I bring down those who sit on thrones. My hand has found like a nest the wealth of the people. As one gathers eggs that have been forsaken, so have I gathered all the earth. And there was none that moved the wing or opened the mouth or chirped. But then God responds, shall the axe boast over him who hews with it or, or the salt magnify itself against him who wills it as if a rod should wield him who lifts it? Or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors. And under his glory, a burning will be kindled like the burning of fire. In this text, God makes it clear. Yes, king of Assyria, I have used you to judge my people, but I am the one who is sovereignly in control of everything that happens. And this should bring us great peace as we see that there is the threat of coronavirus and there is a real enemy that we see that is endangering our health. But we should remember that there is nothing that escapes the sovereign will and plan of God and everything that happens from Genesis to Revelation until today happens because God alone makes it happen. This should bring us great comfort. See, when the king here speaks so arrogantly and ignorantly about having slain the people and judged the people of Israel and Judah, God responds. And when God, when God responds, he responds like he responds to the people in our Psalms text. He warns the king that he has been nothing more than an axe of correction and judgment in the hand of God. See, 
We must be reminded that when the world thinks that it is winning, when the world is killing and persecuting Christians, when the world is abusing us and mocking us and scoffing at Jesus Christ, we must remember that there is one day that is coming when we will all see face to face the glory of Jesus Christ and there will be people who mocked him, who will weep with anguish at him. And that should bring us not just great joy, but it should bring us great fire and fervor, as I said last week, to know that there will be people, as the text said last week, that will not be able to stand in judgment. Now, there should be nobody on this earth that we should hate so much that we want to see them spend an eternity in hell. This should encourage us today to know that no matter how bad it gets, though, for us, that everything that happens in this life is in the palm of the hand of God. And everything that he does, he does according to his own counsel, his own goodness, and his own will. When the enemies of Christ mocked him on the cross, they told him to prove that he was the son of God, prove that he was the Messiah, prophet, and king. But he didn't. But when he gave up his spirit, the Bible says that all of heaven and earth responded. The skies were darkened and the ground shook and the veil that was in the temple was torn from top to bottom. So much so that it caused the centurion soldier that was standing there to look upon him and say, truly, this man is the son of God. In what they perceived to be a victory was God's sovereign plan falling into place. He then warns them that he will speak to them in his wrath. This is a frightening condemnation that is coming for all of us who reject and rebel against God. To all of those who crucified him and to all of those who will crucify him afresh. God makes it clear that he will execute judgment on all who reject him. And those who laugh now will one day weep at the feet of Christ and beg for mercy. Let's look at what Zechariah 12 and 10 says. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Here God tells us that the Jews that rejected their own Jesus in in Jesus will one day see that the Jesus whom they mocked as king will return with fervor and with fire as king. And he will not be a lamb this time, but he will return as the lion who came to bring the sword of judgment. And that brings us 
to our final and most emphatic point of the day, which is just a reiteration of our sermon title, Crown Him. Crown Him. The last portion of our text comes with God's fiercest rebut, and it is this. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. In verse 3, the rebels of God pronounce their rebellion against him, but God responds with a more powerful pronouncement here. He says, as for me, I will set my king on Zion, my holy hill. That is done. It is finished. When God spoke it, it was that was it. He speaks in the past tense here about a future event. And that event is the true triumphal entry of Christ when he will come and the world will finally see him as the everlasting king. See, we must understand that when the Jews rejected him, they didn't just reject him because of what he was saying, but he didn't look the way that they thought he was supposed to look. Because when you look all the way back in 1 Samuel and you trace back the history of the Jews, remember, they asked God for a king. And when they saw Saul, the Bible talks about how broad his shoulders were and how tall he was and how he looked like a king, which inevitably led to the judgment of Israel. What is going to what happens with the Jews here is that they looked at Jesus and he didn't look like a king. But I am here to tell you one day that scripture tells us that the one they expected to come will come and he will look far greater than they could have ever imagined. Look with me in the book of Revelation 19, 11. Then I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and is and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the one the, and the name by which he is called is the word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen white and pure were following him on white horses from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And his robe and on his thigh has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This, this is the king. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords that every kingdom will inevitably have to bow to. The Lord that everyone will confess and he will return to us in the full breath of his rule and his majesty. And the final and complete revelation of Jesus Christ will be clearly seen and he will be crowned the King of the universe. 
Yes, while he was on earth, he lived his life as a poor man who surrendered his life to death, even death on a cross. He was beaten. He was crucified. But one day he will come back to us as the king that he promised to be and we will have no choice but to crown him. And every person that derided him, every person that mocked him, every person that mocked us, that persecuted us, will look at him whom they have crucified and they will weep at the sight of him. This is what Resurrection Sunday is all about. It's not just about the weak, beaten man, but it is about the majestic king who sovereignly lords over us and rules. And if we can only worship the one that hung on the cross, but not the one that's coming back, then we have no idea who he is in the first place. Listen to what Malachi says. Malachi 4 and 1, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and, the, and all evildoers <coughs> will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Before you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like cows from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On that day, when I act, says the Lord of hosts, this, this is the man that will return for us one day. He will gather us all together who belong to him, and we will reside with him for eternity. But for those who have rejected him, the Bible says they will look at him and they will weep knowing that he is the one that they have crucified. But here it says that the thing that will bring the world great discomfort and fear will bring us comfort and peace because we will not be judged in the way the world will be judged because our sins have been forgiven. That is what it means to be a Christian. Finally, God then says that he will tell of the decree. Now, what does that mean? That is the coronation. That is the enthronement of a king that has taken reins of his kingdom and no one will be able to take this crown away. In his pronouncement of Jesus as king, he proclaims, <clears throat> you are my son, and today I have begotten you. While God speaks this to David, we cannot deny that he is in fact referring to our blessed king, King Jesus, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the author and finisher of our faith. That is who Jesus is. And even in the midst of all of this craziness in the world, 
remember this, no one can dethrone him. He is the ruler of the universe and we glorify him today. So when we think of Resurrection Sunday, I don't want you to just have the image of the Jesus we saw, but I also want you to have the image of the Jesus that's coming back. And he is coming back for every one of us who believes in him. He is coming back for us. And he will reign as our everlasting king. And there will be no end to his kingdom. Let's pray.